Sermon number 536, the Bible's Odd Couple, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, May 3rd, 1970. The text is Genesis 21, the sixth verse, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. The sermon today is entitled, The Bible's Odd Couple. The text is taken from the first book in the Bible, Genesis. We begin to read at the first verse of the 21st chapter. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would suckle children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I'm sure many of you have either read or seen the play, and many others of us have seen the screen version of The Odd Couple. We've enjoyed its humor, received many of its laughs, and today I'd like you to look at one of the original odd couples, the Bible's odd couple, that couple known as Abraham and Sarah. They were not only the individuals who are known lovingly as the authors of the Judeo-Christian tradition. But they are, without a doubt, one of the most peculiar couples I have ever read about in all of life. I sometimes think in trying to exhilarate this particular man and his wife, as we do in the church, to such a high position of honor, that sometimes we forget that these people were real human beings, and they were different. It was quite odd that they even got together as husband and wife. I know most people don't realize it, but those who study the scriptures closely know that Abraham and Sarah were really brother and sister. Yeah, rather odd. They both had different mothers, but the father of each one of them was the same man. And because they were not only brother and sister, but also husband and wife, Abraham had a very convenient tool with which to operate. Whichever way he felt and whichever way he thought was the safest for him, that would be the convenient way that he would operate in introducing his wife. Take, for example, the time when he went down to Egypt. He was afraid that if they thought Sarah was his wife, he would be put to death, so he introduced her as his sister. Now, perhaps wasn't the best thing to do, but you must admit it was convenient, even though it was odd. 
And to this couple, many things happened in a very odd way. You'll remember that Abraham one day, when he was about 75 years old, came home and announced to Sarah, his wife, that he had the strong urge that God was calling him to be in mission, that God somehow had given to him a message that he was to get up out of his land in the earth of Chaldees and go to Canaan. Now, Abraham had never been in Canaan. In fact, he didn't even know anybody who lived in Canaan. He had never even received a postal card from someone in Canaan. But at 75 years of age, and his wife being 10, young, 10 years younger at 65, he said, come, Sarah, we're going to put the house up for sale. We're going to pack all of our belongings, get rid of all of our junk, and we are going to Canaan. Now, any logical, well-meaning, and yet loving woman would have told Abraham to go and to go by himself. But Sarah did not. You see, she was just odd enough to say, okay, Abe, we're going. And the Bible said they went not knowing where they were going. Seventy-five years old and sixty-five years old, they start out like two kids. Rather odd, isn't it? But that was nothing compared to a very another odd thing that happened to them, perhaps one of the oddest of things that ever happened in their life. They had a baby. Now, I know most married people expect children to come their way but not just prior to the 75th wedding anniversary. And that's exactly when Isaac came to Abraham and Sarah. Ninety-nine years old was old age when God says, your wife's going to conceive and have a child. You'll call his name Isaac. Eighty-nine years old was Sarah when she brought forth this boy. Now, that's a little odd. And one of the great odd things about it was that God used this particular odd couple to introduce us to what, up to that time, seemed rather odd to the people of that day and still seems odd to many people of our day, that God used these people to introduce laughter and the meaning of laughter into the world. Do you realize up to this time in the Bible, laughter is not even thought of or mentioned? Now, I'm sure Adam and Eve and Noah and his sons, they probably knew what it was to have a sense of humor, but it was not until we get to this particular man and his wife that we begin to see the meaning and the purpose of laughter. And the whole incident built around the son that was born to them in their old age is filled with laughter. The Bible says that Abraham, when Isaac was born, and he was a hundred years old, Abraham laughed. Look at the name of the boy, Isaac. That doesn't mean much to us, but if we knew Hebrew, we know that that very word means he laughs. Sarah. For one of the first times in her life, she knew the deep meaning of humor. And it is out of her precious mouth that comes a teaching which is hard and odd for some of us to know and to understand and to believe in, namely that God has made laughter for us. You see, around this whole incident, 
we have the meaning, the interpretation, the purpose of why God has given to man a crazy thing like the ability to laugh. You know, no other animal in the world is able to do this. Others eat, all of them require sleep. But we are the lone species of all of God's creation that is able to laugh. Now, why did he give unto us this particular ability or talent? You see, it's been very difficult throughout all of time for people to try and get laughter properly in their life. And no group of people has had more trouble in understanding laughter than church people, Christians, you and me. It's somehow been most difficult for us to synchronize the meaning and the purpose of laughter into our everyday existence. Many people, deep down in here, really don't associate laughter with anything that has to do with the gospel. Granted, many feel that it is a very deep religious thing that we do when we bring our tears unto God. And when we come to church, we expect to cry and to have a, the, the strings of our hearts pulled and tugged at. But oftentimes when we try to interject a little humor, or when people laugh, it seems so sacrilegious to some people that, that laughter should be an echo of the divine power of God's gaiety and joy. Look how it was in your childhood, many of you. I know some people who were raised in a great Christian home back 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. They were taught that they were not allowed on Sunday to do three things. They did not work, they did not play, and they did not laugh. You went to church and you listened. And you didn't say anything, and above all, you never cracked a smile. I had one man tell me not too long ago that in his home, he wasn't even allowed to whistle on the Lord's day. You see, that this is what has happened in, in, in many of our particular lives. And though God has given us this, according to the testimony of Sarah, for our purpose and for our benefit, many of us have yet not caught the clue as to how it is to be used. I can remember several years ago when our young United Presbyterian Church hired Stan Freeberg to write some commercials to try and bolster church membership. Remember them? I was really surprised by the number of letters our denomination received and the number of complaints I received for thinking of even allowing a man of talent in the humorous line to advertise for the church. They just didn't think this had anything whatsoever to do with worship, with God, with the church, and with life. You see, that there are many of us who, though we think God is the author of laughter, we really not we are not quite sure as to how it is that we are to use this gift of God. And like so many of the other gifts that God has given to us, the ability to eat, the ability to sleep, the ability to have sex, we, we have abused these and misused these, and instead of them being a power for good in our life, we have turned them into something other than what God intended them to be. 
And laughter, instead of helping individuals, it, it, it hurts us. You see, there are some people who use laughter only as an excuse. An excuse because they, they don't know what to say or what to do, so, so they laugh. Now don't fool me, you've been in this particular situation, I have been too, where an individual comes up to us and tells us what he thinks is a very funny story. For the life of me, sometimes I can't figure out anything funny about it, maybe I don't understand it. But what do I do? <laughs> because I don't know what to do or what to say, <laughs> I laugh. You do it. Abraham did it. God came down and said, Abraham, your wife's going to have a baby. Now, Abraham didn't know what to do. He didn't know if he was to faint, or if, if he was to try and talk God out of this, or to try to ask why, or better yet, how. He didn't know what he was to do, so he did what many of us do when we don't know what to do or what to say. He laughed. Read it in the 17th chapter. The Bible said he fell down on his face laughing because he didn't know what to do or what to say. Now the point of the thing is that that laughter did absolutely no good. It didn't change God's mind. It didn't help solve the situation. It didn't take the problem away. I don't even think it made Abraham feel any better whatsoever. It did absolutely nothing whatsoever, because you see, God did not create and intend laughter to be something to do when we don't know what else to do. God never intended laughter to become an excuse when we don't know what to say or we don't know what to do. Neither did God ever intend laughter to become an expression of our doubts. That's what many of us use laughter for, you know. Somebody tells us an incredible story or tries to expect us to believe some great thing, and what do we do? <laughs> we laugh at them. We're polite. We're very nice, but we don't believe them. You see, we think that the easiest way to dismiss something that sounds untrue and unreal is to laugh at it. I imagine many a person was standing on the seashore when, 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 he, when they said goodbye to Christopher Columbus. They were standing there, and I'm sure many of them were laughing. I can remember sitting in a congregation of people watching John F. Kennedy make his acceptance speech in 1961 as President of the United States, and when he came to that particular classic passage about how he hoped the American people could have a man on the moon by the end of the decade, there was a roar of laughter amongst the people of that great group. Okay? Laughter was never intent to be something used by us to express our disbelief. Sarah had to find that out. You see, Abraham, this was a real odd boy, I'll tell you. He didn't bother to tell Sarah about the conversation he'd had with God. She didn't know that she was going to have a baby until one day three visitors came down and they were talking to, to Abraham about it and she heard in the outer room and when she heard that she was about to bring forth a son Isaac, the Bible said she laughed. 
Abraham's too old, and I'm too old, and that pleasure is gone from me. And she laughed unto herself. But in this particular incident, we find God not being as lenient with Sarah as he was with Abraham and his laugh of excuse. Now, God took Sarah to task, and he takes anyone to task who uses laughter as an excuse of, or laughter as an expression of disbelief in him and his way. Is anything too hard for God, said God in a very angry voice unto Sarah, and she said, oh, no. But you see, there's still many of us who feel and believe that the way we can get rid of the problems in the world and the way we are to live today without a belief in God is simply by laughing at things which we think cannot possibly happen. Now, God doesn't have much use for this kind of a person because, you see, God never created laughter to be an expression of our doubts. God created laughter for one reason, to give us some way to express the thankfulness, the gratitude, the joy which is ours because of what God has given unto us. This is where you see Abraham and Sarah really coming to terms with the meaning of laughter and where Sarah is able to say with all the conviction of her heart and mind, God has made laughter for me. It's when they realize that there is little Isaac and he is there because God has given them this boy. God has given them something that they could not attain for themselves, that God has been close to them, that God has been gracious unto them, that God is true to his word and never goes back on his promise. And when God says he's going to do something, he does it. And this gave them confidence and joy and happiness. And because they had these qualities in their life, they were able to find the true meaning of laughter because laughter is to be a vehicle of our expression of thankfulness and confidence that we have in God Almighty. And this is a point, you see, that I think we have to say rather strongly from the pulpits of America today. Because one of the reasons that I have preached this sermon and yes, I've had a tremendously difficult time preparing it. It's because I, for one, am greatly concerned by the lack of pure, true laughter in our American society today. I know many of you people sit in very important meetings. So do I. Tell me, when was the last time you heard any levity and any laughing in a meeting? When was the last time you heard anyone whistle? When was the last time you whistled because of joy and of confidence and of, of a feeling that you have, that you are glad you are alive, that God is in his heaven and all will be right with the world? I go to meetings. I know six stated meetings each month where we sit with men and women who are dedicated Christians. People who are instrumental in the power structure of the church, if there is such a thing. You know, those meetings used to be fun. They're not fun anymore. Everything is a major proportion. Everything 
has the atmosphere about it that the world is resting on what we do right there. We're so anxious hearing about the complaints of people who have not things that we forget to give thanks unto God for the things that we have. We're so doubting the power of God in the world today to be able to bring something good out of this chaos and perplexity and turmoil that we forget that God created the whole world in the first place. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own selves and our own doubts and our, and, our, and our own inability to say what we want to say or do what we want to say that there's no laughter, there's no joy. Abraham and Sarah, you see, found the true joy when they saw what God had given them, when they believed that God had sent this little miracle of joy to them and that God's promises is real and that never will God go back on his word and if he tells us something, we better believe it. And it's in this that we gain confidence and strength an expression of happiness and the ability to laugh. Yes, we are people who tune in to laugh in and, and hee-haw. And you hear a lot of people laughing, I think most of the time, because they don't know what to say or to do, or because of their disbelief that God is still in control of the world. But how many of us are really laughing because of an inner confidence that we have that God's side is going to win. Not enough. Not enough people have this particular confidence, because if we did have it, I'm sure our meetings and our gatherings would be a little more happier than they are. You know, I think really the picket lines are important at times. And some of these militants probably are necessary to awake us out of our lethargy. But have you noticed these people? Take a look at the next newscast, either on television or look in your newspaper. Not one of these individuals have I been able to see in the last couple of months who's, who's had an expression of happiness and joy upon his face. It's usually the clenched fist, you know, and the ugly, snarling face. These people are important, but they certainly haven't done much to, to lift the seriousness of the moment into the glory of laughter. We need people, tall people, people who can march up and down the streets and through the office buildings and homes, people who have a radiant confidence in Jesus Christ and in the power of God, who can laugh at the days to come because they know whose they are and to whom they belong. And we can radiate this confidence because of what Jesus Christ has given to us, not only in his word, but in his life. I shall never leave you comfortless. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very difficult, I know, to try and preach a sermon like this in the days of war, tumult, when we realize that two-thirds of the population of all the world, those people will go to sleep hungry tonight. When we realize that our nation is involved in a war, no matter what you want to call it, in Southeast Asia, it's now 
crowding over into Cambodia from South Vietnam. Very difficult to laugh and to be happy when, when this type of thing is going on. It's very difficult to laugh at the world in the days to come when you know little children and people are being beaten only because of the color of their skin. When you realize that vicious criminals are breaking into safe and quiet households and there they are brutally beating and mutilating people and objects. When you realize that Countless thousands of young people today are trying to find some laughs in that horrible thing of the drug traffic. When all of us seem to be living on the top of some nuclear bomb, and when our college campuses today look more like battlefields than they do like institutions of learning that they were meant to be. It's very difficult to be people who can laugh and, and have this confidence in Almighty God. But nevertheless, this is one of the things that I think is sadly neglecting in our Christian commitment and in our attitude in the world and maybe be one of the reasons why we look like we're losing the battle instead of realizing we're already on the winning side. Let's throw those shoulders back. Let's express that confidence in God. Let's let the world hear our laughter. It's difficult, but it can be done. You read this morning the 100th Psalm, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, O ye people. Do you know when that psalm was written? Bible scholarship tells us that it was written shortly after the Jews came back from the land of captivity to the city of Jerusalem. This little handful of people, they came back from a land of bondage. They came back to a place where their city, their nation, their temple had been devastated and ruined by the enemy. They came back after their hopes had been shattered. They came back after, after their fathers had been captured and taken into captivity. They came back surrounded with nations who either hated or ignored their God, yet these people had the audacity to say, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye people. Serve the Lord with gladness. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. They had it. And I'm sure many of those people that looked at that little handful of the Jewish community thought, my, what odd people. In the midst of odds like that, they are vain enough to be odd to believe that they can win. You know, the world needs some people like that today. People who can laugh. And yes, I'll tell you, the world will think that you are odd. And many people will think that you are not really doing too much to help in the sake of the kingdom. Many people will be at odds with you because of that particular belief. But I think the world needs a little bit of that oddity. And let's never forget that we were called into this world not to be conformed to it, but to transform it. And whenever man gets serious with God, and the two join an alliance, you have a pretty odd couple. But that's what this world needs. 
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.